welcome to the Ordinary Church Podcast. This is a podcast about the church and for the church, and we're super excited to be with you today because along with Mike and myself, we are joined again by the five GCO summer interns. So we are here with Hugo, Jasmine, Skylar, Audrey, and Aiden, and we are excited to jump into this. Uh, and guys, are you excited to be with us? Yes. Listen to how excited they sound. They are. They're so excited. Yes. Mike. Why don't you tee it up for us today? Okay. Tell us where we're going. Yes, we have two questions today. And the first is, we want to ask you, over the past couple weeks that you've been in terms at Grace Church, what's the most significant life lesson you've been learning or processing? Well, you know, what's been, what's been on your heart with that? And, you know, I'm, you're in the Word, you're praying, you're doing ministry. Uh, what's, what's something that's, that's uh, been significant on your mind? That's the first question. Then we'll we'll uh, pivot to the second general open-ended question after that. But uh, anybody, just jump in and share. We won't call on you. Just share when you want, would like to. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So here's how we'll do this too. Just when you when you uh, start to talk, tell us who you are, so our listeners will know who they're who they're listening to. This is, this is Hugo, or Hugs, uh, whatever you want to call me. Um, the most significant thing I've learned about the past couple of weeks has to do with teaching. Um, the idea that you're just the communicator, you're not the enforcer. Um, it's, it's God's word. He has the power to change hearts. You don't. So not to be mad or discontent with how you did because you're not the one that's going to be able to force a kid to understand that. Um, that was really clear to me during VBS. And then discussing the book we're reading, we talked about evangelism and not confusing the results of evangelism with the actual evangelism itself. Mm-hmm. So that's been really nice. Mm-hmm. That's big. Not confusing the results of evangelism with the actual evangelism. Preaching the word and then leaving it up to God on how that happens. So many times we want to like claim things that maybe God didn't do, right? Oh, this happened or that happened, and then we kind of walk away. A lot bigger than that, huh? Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Good. Who's next? Uh, Hi there, this is Aiden. Um, I'd say the thing that um, God has really been like showing me and working on me with um, in these past couple weeks with the internship, uh, especially through VBS, has been like being rejuvenated by His Word um, and finding um, just joy in being a servant's heart um, and working in the background. Um, I've had like a little bit of experience with VBS of being up front in front of everybody, and um, I realized that I do like working in the background and being rejuvenated and um, being able to just yeah kind of have that experience of um, being able to yeah like I was saying work in the background and show God's love in different ways. So yeah. All right. I like how you use that term rejuvenated. Uh, a couple times there. That's a that's a good word. I mean, it's probably not a word we use every every day, right? But rejuvenated. Um, it made me think immediately of Psalm ninety four nineteen. Seriously, uh, when my anxious thoughts multiply within me, uh, Lord, your consolations delight my soul. And the idea of the word just. Uh, you know, uh, Psalm 19 talks about the word reviving us, reviving mm-hmm. uh, and restoring. And so, good word. All right. Who else? Who's next? What have you, what's God been teaching you? What have you been learning? Did this good thing? I think so, probably, yes. <laughs> okay. 
Hi, I'm Jasmine. Um, so I've loved the internship so far. I feel like there's so many things that I have learned, so it's kind of hard to pick one, uh, but I will try my best. I think it kind of has come from also like what Hugo is saying about teaching, just because I feel like I did that a lot in the past like week, which is so amazing to have the privilege of just being able to learn how to teach. I've never really done that before in a formal way. Um, so yeah, I taught for VBS and that just really like challenged me to get into God's word and really just study it and to see how can I communicate to the, to the kids. And then exactly what Hugo was saying, like I was definitely not perfect at all of, at doing it at first, at the beginning of the week VBS. And I was kind of getting a little anxious, like, oh no, I'm not doing it right. Or maybe not doing it the way I want to. Like, are the kids gonna understand? Can God use this? But definitely like, I think the idea of just being faithful, especially in the, within the internship, just being faithful and doing um, these servants tasks like teaching has been really great. You know, just be faithful and tell the word, tell it what it says, and then God, leave the rest up to God and trusting God with the, the with the results. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, just being faithful, it kind of ties what Aiden was saying, like wherever God calls, wherever you're going to serve, like we are there and we do that cheerfully and for the Lord, not for man, um, doing that for, God's eyes. So yeah, that's probably the biggest thing. Sweet. Thanks. Praise God for that good word. What a privilege it is. And uh, to, to serve the Lord and to trust Him. Wonderful. Okay. Anybody else? Okay. Hi, this is Skylar. Um, the biggest thing I've learned in the past couple weeks is how to have a servant's heart. Um, because I knew going into this internship, I was so excited to serve. And over the past three weeks, it's learning how to serve and how to have that servant's heart. And there's so many different ways that we've served. Like we've been in the kitchen, we've been with the kids, we've been at VBS and every way is just such a different way and a beautiful way to serve the Lord. And so it's just been really transformative, like learning how to have a servant's heart. Um, and the phrase that was coming to my head was if you've heard like the I'm third um, phrase is that like God is first, others are second, and I'm third. So that's been on my heart recently and learning how I can serve others better and serve the church better and submit to the Lord better. All right. I got a funny thing before I know Audrey's coming next, but I got to tell you something really quick since you said that. Um, when I was in high school, I read this book called I Am Third, and it was um, written by Gail Sayers, who was, a, who was a running back for the Chicago Bears. And it was the Brian Piccolo story. And Brian Piccolo was a uh, running back for the Chicago Bears as well, who died of cancer. And while he was a uh, NFL player, so it was like when he was young. And it was called I Am Third because his saying was, the Lord is first, my friends are second, and I am third. And it impacted me so much as an unbeliever that on my Letterman jacket uh, in high school, I put number three. And I was a runner, I was a track and cross country runner, so we didn't have numbers. So I put number three on there, and now I don't think I lived that very well, but I wanted to. <laughs> In some way, I wanted to. But anyway, don't mean to uh, take away what you just said. What you said was way better than what I said, but it, it made me think of that immediately. Okay, Audrey, and then we'll have Audrey answer, and then we'll go into our, our next round. Hi, this is Audrey. Um, I would say one of the biggest things I've learned during this internship is just 
remembering to stay focused on what's important and constantly reminding myself, and I don't do it perfectly, but everything, including ministry, is about the gospel and sharing the gospel with kids. And I feel like Connor and Pastor Randy have done a really good job of reminding us that we need to um, continue to be faithful in our personal devotion with God um, and just not get caught up in the busyness of ministry. Um, and yeah, just remembering that it's about sharing Christ with people and um, yeah, preaching the gospel to sinners. All right, thank you so much. It's, it's sweet to see what God is doing. I remember uh, way back in 1984, my first year of, my first summer of doing full-time ministry, I was working at a church. I got sent out by my by my church in Downey, uh, sent us to the First Baptist Church of Big Bear. And there was five of us, um, three of us guys, two gals, and we uh, were summer interns with this church doing children's ministry all summer. And I was keeping a journal, and I still have those journals that I can look back on and see some of the things the Lord was teaching me. And it's neat to see what God does, even in the short term, but also when you kind of look back and see how formative some of the things that God brought you. Sometimes you forget, you know. Ange and I just had our 31st anniversary, and one of the things I did when we went away on, for a little trip was I wrote down every year from 1991 and wrote something significant and good from that year. And I, some years I couldn't remember what had happened that year. And I went back to some of my journals and kind of jogged my memory. And then mm-hmm. one evening we just sat there and I started, I said, okay, so let's go through every year. And we went through, and it was amazing the things we remembered just from talking to each other about things that we went through all those years. So anyway, so do you wanna, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I I can jump us into this next round in a second, but I just wanted to quickly, to quickly highlight the serving aspect to the kind of the behind the scenes work that some of them were talking about with the story from yesterday. Yesterday, they they played, Iron Chef America intern version in the kitchen. <laughs> and okay now. To, not really, but to paraphrase a Winston Churchill quote, never have so few people made so many sandwiches in so little time. It was like, it was amazing. Wait, who did they you made make like the sandwiches for? They made like 100 sandwiches for, 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 for kids over in El Medina. They went to the zoo yesterday with them. Uh, what Way to go. Yeah, what it was amazing. What kind of sandwiches though. were they? Ham and cheese. <laughs> Ham and cheese. No, I was just impressed. I came into the kitchen, and they just had the music going. They were, like, cranking them out. And you were just it so was, excited. Yeah, it was amazing. So, ser- servant heart. Uh, servant-hearted people, I'll for tell sure. tell you what. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, okay, well. so let me get us into uh, the second round here. This time, instead of us asking all of you a question that you'll answer, we want to open it up for you. This is... Uh, Ask me anything, and you guys can ask any question that Mike and I can try to field. Uh, could be just random funny questions, could be serious as well. Anything that anything that you want to ask, uh, the floor is open, and we'll just uh, we'll uh, see how this goes for a few minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> not all at once, everybody. Give us a once. doozy. Okay. Um, do you want like in, like a kind of topical, easy one first? Okay. You do whatever you want. Okay. You can give as hard as question as you want. Okay. I guess like a kind of a easier. I don't know. Maybe question is what is biblical humility? Because I've heard people explain humility, which is kind of like the opposite of pride. Mm-hmm. But then I've heard this idea of um, I was listening to a podcast and someone had mentioned this book called I think it was called like the art of like self 
forgetfulness. Yeah, Tim Keller. Yes. Yes. So I read it, and so I feel like he was explaining this idea of like gospel humility, mm-hmm. and so I kind of wanted your guys' thoughts on what that looks like for the Christian, since it's truly like not about us, but about Christ. Yes, yes. That is an easy question. I'm just kidding. Leave with an easy one. What's humility? So there's a couple things I'll say. First of all, Keller's little book, it's a really tiny little book, and it's a good book. And it's about, you know, the idea of uh, Jesus even saying, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And deny, biblically speaking, it refers to repudiating yourself, literally rejecting yourself, which goes counterintuitive to everything you hear in the world, which is you're good enough and strong enough and you're better and all that. And it's like actually seeing yourself, you know, like in in Romans 12, it says, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. That doesn't mean you should think more lowly of yourself than you you should think as well, but think with sober judgment. And I would just um, bring us to two places in the scriptures immediately came to mind was Matthew 11, when Jesus described himself. And he said this in Matthew eleven twenty eight. Well, for he says, "Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And gentle and humble, humble and gentle, uh, is other different ways it's translated there. And a humility is embodied in Christ. I mean, he humbled himself to the cross, right? Philippians two. Um, also, in speaking of making all those sandwiches yesterday too. Uh, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And it's the outward look of, I'm not thinking of myself right now, I'm, I'm, I'm doing for the glory of God. So I think at its heart, you know, uh, a humility is going to be, biblically speaking, is going to be thinking with sober judgment about who God is, who you are, you know, your place in the world. And um, I think that God gives, um, grants, God grants humility. Um, and I think that pain in life, um, causes us to, like, if you think of the, uh, Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, you, you know, you're bankrupt apart from God, you know, like John 15, apart from me, I, you can do nothing. Jesus said, so you mourn over your sinfulness. You, you know, when there's a humility of heart, you're not thinking, wow, I think I'm the most humble person on earth right now. You basically have a, a lowliness of mind in, in relation to the greatness of God, but also in relation to your fellow humans where you're not thinking that you're better. Yeah, that was, that was great. I'm with you on all that. I think I would just add um, all of us are always focused on someone or something and and exerting energy to promote someone or something and so real humility necessarily requires there to be another party that my focus can be on and so for the believer if my focus really is on christ then naturally in that i'm forgetting myself the person who's out there in the world and doesn't know christ and they're just thinking i want to be a humble person some of that navel gazing or like internally i want to be so humble they can actually end up you know thinking more of themselves than ever in that but the, the believer is so focused on the Lord and wanting to glorify Him and, and worship Him that they genuinely are forgetting about themselves. C.S. Lewis has a good quote about, you know, if you really met a humble person, they wouldn't seem like some woe is me, you know, kind of lowly down in the dumps person, but they would just seem like a really cheerful person, super happy, super interested in you, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think that's helpful. Yeah. 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 Great question. Thanks. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
Who's next? Aiden has a question Hi. for us. Yeah. Um, so leading up to the week of VBS, uh, some of us, some of us had like the privilege of doing some door to door canvassing to like talk about VBS and had some like awesome conversations with people about the gospel. Um, and so my question is like when sharing the gospel with strangers specifically, um, sometimes they can feel kind of like judged or hurt, I guess, um, because uh, the gospel right. can feel very convicting. Um, so what is some either some tips or the, the best ways to kind of show God's love when sharing with strangers okay. the gospel? All right. Well, I'm going to grab this one. Okay. So my mind immediately went to First uh, Peter 3, but we'll get to that. Mm-hmm. I want to go to Acts 2, actually, because Acts 2 shows on the day of Pentecost, so the, bir- the church is birthed, and Peter gets up boldly and authoritatively and starts to speak. And he preaches the Word of God and explains the Old Testament in light of Christ. Okay? And he just goes. He's, he, the Holy Spirit uh, is leading him. He's, he's driven by the Word. He's bold. He's authoritative. He's driven by the Word. And he basically says what God has said. So he he really pronounces what God has said, right? And then he says, and whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Oh, and by the way, you put Jesus to death. Okay, so I want to camp out first on what you said about how sometimes people feel when you share the gospel with them, right? And what I want to say is this, and I mean this in all sincerity and humility and that we would be always thinking, you know, remember, humility is is lowliness of mind. And the idea that we would never think we're better than someone because we're saved. We would, we're like a beggar that's telling other beggars where to get the bread, right? So the idea is that you can't do anything about how someone feels about hearing the gospel. Now, let me say that and then we can all push against that in our own minds a little bit, and then we'll say something at the end that would cap it off, that brings in how 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 much you care about other people, and you care about how they feel, but not at the expense of truth. So Peter keeps preaching, and he's not thinking to him. Now maybe he was thinking to himself, "How are they taking this?" You think he might have been thinking that? I'm thinking yes. Any of us when we're preaching and we're preaching it strong, we're 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 seeing eyes, and whether you know the people or not, you're wondering how they're taking it. Well, how did these people take it? So they are told that they put Jesus to death. So they're indicted, okay? And then he tells them that everyone should understand this, that God has made him, made Christ both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So he kind of piles on again, but he's not doing it out of a heart that's hateful. He's doing it out of a heart to tell them the absolute truth. What's the response? Okay, verse 37, Acts 2, 37. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Literally, they were convicted. They were slain. <laughs> they, were, they, were, they, were, they, were, they were killed by the word, okay? And they're cut to the heart, and they say to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Kind of an open-ended question. But it, it, it assumes that they want to respond in a good way. What should we do about this that we know is true, okay? And Peter says, repent. So do you, do you notice that there's nothing that's like, oh, it's okay if you, you know, like when I was younger and I was first doing pastoral ministry, I had some older pastors tell me, 
you are too timid and you're apologizing for the word. And when you get up there to preach, if you apologize, you unravel what you're saying. And I actually pushed against it. I did not feel good about them saying that to me. I thought, what? But I realized they were absolutely tr- right. I was so timid and so apologetic in, a, in not a good way. I was apologizing for what I was saying and it was from the word. And it's like, you can't apologize for the gospel, okay? So you have to give it straight, cut it straight, and then let it be what it's going to be, okay? So repent. Uh, you're going to be forgiven. You'll receive these gifts of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord calls to himself. With many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, here again, not comforting, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Now, here's what it says in verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized and were added that day. Well, you know what that means. Anyone who didn't receive his word, they went home, okay? They went home unsaved. So I think at one level, you cannot, you should have a heart for the people such that you really care deeply for them, but you should not own their response. You shouldn't be hateful either. Peter wasn't hateful. Okay, you go, well, the day of Pentecost, it was great. Go all the way through the book of Acts. They weren't perfect people. They were just giving the word of the perfect God. And so I'd say you can't do anything about their response, but you can be personable, empathetic, winsome and and going back to the uh, evangelism thing don't confuse things it wasn't because you were so winsome and empathetic and personal that they became a believer unbelievers will often say i don't want christ because of what i've seen from believers and all i can say there is that while we can always say we can be better christians and act and and behave better that is not an excuse for for rejecting Christ. Like saying, someone saying, well, because of all the hypocrites, I'm not going to become a Christian. Sorry, they make a moral. Um, one of my seminary profs told me this years and years ago, because no one ever rejects Christ on a uh, intellectual basis. It's always a moral question. They might say it's because of intellect, but there's always a moral decision that they make that they don't want to give up their sin. Repent of your sins and turn to Christ. So we need to care about what they think, but not not to the point of paralyzation of the message of the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. Super, super helpful. I just, have, I just have three quick thoughts. I hope they'll be quick. Number one, I would just say, in, in general, as we're talking to people, asking questions can be really helpful. Letting them talk, you know, putting something to them and just letting them kind of almost think for themselves and come to conclusions on their own. I've found that to be just practically helpful. Uh, Number two, in my Bible reading this morning, I was in Luke 3 and I was reading about John the Baptist ministry and he's so blunt, you know, with these people. Calls them a brood of vipers. At the end, when he talks about Christ, he says he's coming with the winnowing fork in hand and he's going to gather his wheat into his, you know, storehouse. But the chaff, he's going to burn with unquenchable fire and I was surprised by the verse that followed that and it said something like and with many other words he continued to preach good news to them which is just kind of interesting because it's this kind of brutally you know honest verse about the you know the burning of you know the chaff with unquenchable fire but then somehow that's still categorized as good news so you know when we bring the gospel to people it does come with the teeth of the justice of God and in a loving way, we can bring that across, I think. 
So I was thought to, I think the third thing was just the first Peter three uh, passages that you mentioned, which is, I, I had it up a second ago, but when he's talking about, you know, always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that's in you, you know, do it with gentleness and respect so that people wouldn't have anything bad to say about you. All of that is, we don't see it in English quite as clearly, but it's all the plural you. So yeah. you all be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you all for the hope that's in you all, you know? So we kind of tend to personalize that verse, like I need to be so winsome towards people, but really it's the church collectively. So all that to say, and we actually were having a conversation about this just the other day, but sometimes in those like really quick evangelistic encounters, one of the best things we can try to encourage people towards is the church, right? Maybe you, hey, could you join us on a Sunday ever to just see what it's like if you haven't been to church in a long time, you know? And that maybe confronts them with God's people in a way that we they would, you know, maybe see something different in our lives and then we'd all have a chance to kind of continue that conversation. So yeah, those would be some thoughts for me. Good thoughts. I want to um, piggyback on that First Peter three because I totally forgot about First Peter. Yeah. Three. I'm glad yeah, you. Yeah. I'm glad you brought it back in. And the, the plurals is very important to understand. Plurals are all over the New Testament, and rarely is it, "Hey, you one believer, go do this." It's right. always in the context of right. a of a local assembly of believers. But where First where First Peter uh, three fifteen says, "Set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts." The idea of set apart is literally sanctify, um, regard Christ the Lord as holy, and it literally means to venerate him, like to be worshiping and adoring him so much in your heart. That's the first place you start. Why did Peter stand up and, and, and do what he did? Because he loved Christ so much and his heart was captivated by Christ. So what it does is when you venerate and adore Christ, all fear of man goes out the window. You don't fear you don't fear man when you're reverencing Christ, okay? Mm-hmm. And the other thing that I wanted to bring out was the idea of a defense. Make a def- it says always be ready to make a defense. And I think a lot of times we'll take that and mean, oh yeah, throw in a, a, a quick word here or there, uh, and maybe that will help a little bit. This is talking about being in a court of law and laying out a a thoughtful and um, uh, responsible. Uh, presentation to them that would convince them of the truth of, of what is being said. So that you're giving them truth, but you're doing it in such a way that you are really, you have really thought it through. And uh, of course, it's, it can be, it, it should sound informal. It shouldn't be, oh, by the way, everyone sit down and you, I'm going to put on my judge's robe and keep, or I'm going to be, I'm the, I'm the lawyer and you know, you don't, you can't handle the truth. You know, <laughs> it's nothing like that. Okay. It's more of a, um, uh, you're giving an answer to someone who's skeptical or even verbally abusive or um, even derisive towards you. you like, they're like sneering because the, the apostles very often were, were speaking to people, the gospel who were sneering at them and who were harassing them. So it isn't always friendly. Yeah. All right. Who got the next question? Hugo. Okay. This question has to do with this like eager longing to be with Christ and no longer be um, in the flesh. Do you ever get that, that feeling of groaning here and not wanting to be here, but rather um, be with Christ eternally and not in a depressed Sure. Woe is me, I want to kill myself way, but this I'd rather be with Christ and I'd rather be there than here. And what do you do when that gets 
amplify it? Yeah, good question. I think we could both say we feel that all the time. You, you know, you just, you, you're aware of the sin in you and it's super frustrating. And you, you know, in, in the sweetest moments of fellowship with the Lord here, you just, you're just thinking, I just want that, you know, in its fullness, right? A heart that's fully transformed. Um, I think probably both of us immediately thought of the same passage, which is Philippians 1 and Paul talking about, you know, I desire to depart and be with the Lord. It's better by far. But, and this is where at least some, you know, solace can come. Um, but he says it's better for you that I remain. You know, so one of our one of the, talking about humility, like you were, Jasmine. Humility can guard us from that almost. I don't want to say selfish, but that you know impulse of I just want to go be with Christ. Well, when I think about other believers who still need to be built up in the Lord, and maybe there's still you know work for me to do in the body, that can encourage me and just make me think. You know what? As long as the Lord has me here, I want to do that with joy and not be fatalistic or almost detach myself from what's happening now because I just want to go be with the Lord. Um, and I think that, the, you know, the most mature believer, the, the godliest believer, is certainly the one who wants to be with the Lord the most. But they're also the one who's most engaged with the work here, you know. So that would be at least an initial thought. What, what, yeah. what are you thinking, Mike? I'm thinking along the same lines. I, I was camping out on, we were both thinking of Philippians 1. What I, what I like is in Philippians 1.24, he says, after he says all of that, like, I don't know which to choose. Do, uh, to, to, for me to live as Christ, to die as gain. If I live in the flesh, it means fruitful labor for me. Which I, cho- which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But he's not saying he really gets the choice. And he says in verse 24, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. And I will remain convinced of this. I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. He might have died. He could have died the next day. But in that moment in time, I think the person most longing for Christ's return is the one most engaged in serving Christ. And I think that when we, 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 sure there are those times we get really downcast and we start thinking, Lord, just take me. Everyone thinks that. I mean, Paul himself, he said this to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 1. He said, we despaired even of life itself. We were so hard-pressed physically, emotionally, spiritually, we despaired of life. And you go, whoa, Paul wanted to die? Yes, but then he went on to say this in 2 Corinthians 4, but we do not lose heart. 4.16, though our outer man is decaying, our inner man is being renewed day by day. So you got the rejuvenation, right, from the word. Uh, Momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. The things which are seen are temporary, the things that are not seen are eternal. And it's very true that often seen things can make us long for what's eternal, right? Why are all the... The, the black spirituals that were written during slavery in America so heartfelt because they had it so hard on earth they were looking for that robe up there. Remember there was a song we sang in a choir once, I've got a robe up there in that kingdom, ain't that good news? It's good news because right now I don't. So I think that there's a longing but I think again I will go back to the person longing the most for the return of Christ is going to be the one most engaged in serving Christ right now as purely as they can. Yeah. Yeah. And as simply as they can. It doesn't have to be, you know, what everyone sees. God God knows what's God knows the heart that's serving him. Yeah. If I just quickly could jump in with two more ideas. Sorry, I keep saying that. Two more, three more. No, just just really quickly. I do think, you know, 
in some ways, God manifests his grace more fully to us when we experience an extended season of our own sinfulness, you know? If we trusted in Christ and then just immediately were just sucked up to heaven, we wouldn't taste, you know, his grace and patience. And so he manifests some of his character to us through the, you know, 50, 40, 30, 20 years that we have on this earth of walking with the Lord, but seeing our own sinfulness. And that's going to be lodged in our minds into all eternity, I think, of just how much patience God has shown towards us. And then, too, I was just going to say, you know, that impulse, when you do have that feeling of, I just want to go and be with the Lord, there's a way that you can honor that now in this life by pursuing real fellowship with Christ through his word, mm-hmm. which is the point of, you know, Second Corinthians 3, that Moses saw God's glory, but through a veil. And in the new covenant, the veil's been lifted. And spiritually, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we actually get a better sight of God than Moses ever did. And he and he saw, you know, the Lord pass by, but when we have times of meditating on God's word and considering who Jesus is, there's actually a deeper fellowship, a greater sight, a greater sense of his glory. And in that, you know, the end of that says that we're moving from one degree of glory to the next. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. All so right. Chase that down. Yes. All right. Well, we have time for one more question. So only one more question. Uh, what do we got? And if we need to do more another time, we can do more another time if you have other questions. But last question. Okay. Audrey. I don't have a spicy question. But <laughs> a spicy question. I have serrano peppers too. My carnitas and eggs. So, uh, yeah, spicy question. Um, how do you respond to people accusing Christianity of being the white man's religion? That's All right. such a good question. That is a Serrano, that is a Serrano pepper of a question. Yeah. So how do we uh, respond to people accusing Christianity of being the white man's religion? Well, first of all, just you process it inwardly first, right? You think, you hear stuff like that. And and I, I've just got to say, and, and again, you can, you can just go through a lot of life and read a lot of books and, 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 and observe a lot of things. And when you hear those kind of comments, it all depends on where it's coming from, the time and where it's coming from. And you kind of, you have to deal with the ridiculousness of the question. And, and, I, and what I mean by that, not your question, but the people that are the, of the accusation. Um, because it all depends on where you grew up and where you live and how that is going to be stated. So I would say I would lump that in personally with a lot of other accusations against the church where uh, it becomes this, um, um, oh, I, I, I've read the book, you know, I've read the white privilege books and all of that. And it's just like it, it boggles my mind that it, it really, it really does come down to someone's uh frame of mind and their worldview that is going to drive the narrative that they present. And what you find is, you know, I mentioned um, Samuel Say, and we're going to, we were another time, we'll, we'll pick that up. I realize we went past the time frame, but uh, Samuel Say is, um, has written uh, an article called uh, Why Woke Christians Support Abortion. The interesting thing is, here's a guy who says a lot of things that people don't like. And he would, if he took that question, he would first probably laugh for a while. And, and the reason why is it because it's just, it, it's based on so many assumptions that have this tottering, there's just not a, a solid foundation to that question. That doesn't mean we can't answer it. 
And I think I think Connor has an answer. I feel like Whoa. he's just itching. No, he's I'm not, not itching for the microphone. No. <laughs> so, so anyway, I, I, I don't mean to be like if anyone out there that's listening to this is like, I can't believe you just dismissed it like that quickly. I'm, I'm saying what you think inside. Okay, I'm not saying that's what you're going to say out loud to the person who's saying that to you. For example, let's say one of my neighbors says it. I've had people say similar things to me. You kind of have to go with a question. What do you mean by that? What's been in your experience? What? So you kind of know where it's coming from. If you dive into answering the question too quickly, because you do, all those things I just said are my thought process internally that no one ever hears, okay? But then you go, okay, how am I gonna address this right now to this person? And they're with me right there, they're talking to me. I'm gonna ask them questions. I'm gonna say, tell me, how did you get that idea? What have you read? What's your influences, blah, 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 blah. And, and usually, and I, and I mean this lovingly and kindly, but if you give a fool enough rope, they'll hang themselves. What I mean by that is anybody with a wrong view, it's gonna be shown up pretty quickly that they were either trying to get you, they're trying to get you upset. If it was a real, real question, you're gonna get reasoned answers and you're gonna get, an, you're gonna get, a, uh, you're gonna get more than just that. Because that, all that does is stir up, that stirs up black people. <laughs> That question stirs up black people. And funny thing is most white people just go, uh, oh great. Well, I guess the, the, the way a lot of people go, because they're fear man, they go, well, yeah, I guess you're right. And I'm gonna go pay reparations to everyone. you know. And it's like the most thinking people, I don't care what color they are, the, most, the, the people that are most reasoned on these questions, they see through the, the worldview that's getting presented. Yeah, you're ready. No, to talk. I agree. Ready, ready I, to talk. I, you know, I have like a million things going through my mind, but I won't yeah. say a million because uh, that's not true. Me, yeah, that's not true. You're right. No, I. You know, it is kind of a, it's a kind of fiery, spicy question. Here's a few ideas. Number one, I have in my office something that was a gift to someone at some point. It's a shag carpet mural of Jesus. It's literally like it hangs on the wall. That's my. Is that yours? Shag carpet. My my cousin. <laughs> my cousin made that for me, as a thank you for doing his mother's funeral, my aunt's funeral. Amazing. Yes. Well, anyways, guess what? That Jesus looks like Brad Pitt. Uh, he's like this white dude with flowing hair, and um, I, I'm kind of joking, but you know. It's the, okay. You can make fun of. of Shag carpet jeans. I, yeah, yeah. Don't shag carpet jeans. Well, well the, the initial point is, you know, to the, to the person who, who thinks that, I might just ask them the question, you know, oh, you know, what did you think Jesus was like? Because Jesus certainly was not white, you know, in the way that we would think of, of white people now. So this, you know, this was a, a you know, faith that began in Palestine and, um, you know, started with a bunch of people who looked not like me. Um, and yeah, so I, I would just think that's at least, you know, one initial thought. Uh, Mike, do you want to, you look like you had something I, you want to jump in? I was looking up something because I, I want to test my ideas on a couple things. But the other thing I would say for some, for many people, it's an earnest question. Okay. I, I don't want to like completely say that anyone asking this question is front loaded with, with uh, you know, with nefarious intentions. That there are plenty of people that truly think that that's a, a really valid question and someone can actually ask that question earnestly okay why would they do it okay growing up okay just so full disclosure i i'm tanned but i guess i'm white but i'm italian 
and Irish and English and Scottish and Welsh or whatever, okay? So I guess I'm white. I like to say I'm Italian, but I'm only half Italian. But here's the deal. Every Jesus I ever saw growing up in all the little kid Bibles was white. You know why? Because I grew up in a predominantly white area. But that's not the case in every part of the world, okay? They're going to draw Jesus a little different, okay? But if you really think about it, he was in the Middle East. He was going to, he would have really, he would have dark or olive skin, okay? But I think the reason why some people ask the question is because there's history behind it. And I think... Uh, there's in America. If we can, if we can kind of make it an American question, it would be easier for me to to process uh, because I've grown up in America. I've traveled the world, but I've grown up in America. There's a history of of oppression in America. Uh, it's not on every person, but you can talk to anyone who's black, and they're going to say, "Yeah, I felt certain things." I mean, we've had three black babies living in our home uh, over the last couple of years, and yes, people do look at us differently in certain settings some people with the thumbs up and some people with a puzzled quizzical look and some people with outright um, hostility okay but a history of oppression and African Americans in particular I'm saying uh, I, I think primarily African Americans will say this um, I don't hear it as much from Asian Americans or from you know Middle Eastern people or from people from India or anything like that usually hear it right is that is that fair Okay, so um, we, and the other thing is that the whole, open up another can of worms and we you don't have time, but uh, racial justice stuff that again is, I've read most of those books. You've got to have to read some of these books to actually be able to talk about them. And um, I think it's just, you know, read some good reviews on some of those books and you realize, yeah, that's what I would have said too. That didn't make sense completely. So... Um, I think we got to learn. I think um, there's this thing that you, it says you should listen and learn and all of that. And I think that's true as long as you don't give up your convictions. So, but I think to answer your question, best way I could say it right this moment is I would have to interact with that person and ask them some key questions mm -hmm. to know where they're coming from and really try to understand them. Yeah. That is helpful. Yeah. If I could, I'll try to land the plane with this, but just just kind of in that same vein, Mike, a few more things I was thinking of. So I was starting with this idea that Jesus is this Middle Eastern man to try to get to the point that it's actually Christianity that created what Europe became, not white Europeans who created what Christianity is. Before the gospel came to my people in England, we were painting each other, you know, or we were painting ourselves blue and eating each other. You know, it was the gospel that came and transformed that society, not the other way around. Um, even with acknowledgement that at points in the name of the cross, horrible things have happened and racial injustice has been, you know, perpetrated. So I think that that can be helpful just to have that historical background that if out of the Middle East, the gospel came and transformed, you know, areas that were predominantly white, um, not the other way around. But then... But then additionally, I would just say, you know, some of the frustration that certain groups would feel towards what they would say is, you know, was colonialism at different points or, you know, white people coming in and kind of pushing their way around. Some of that depends on who's telling the narrative, you know, and to people who receive the gospel from, let's say, a white missionary, uh, I've heard, you know, just... I would say, yeah, countless testimonies of people just saying, oh, like, praise the Lord that he came and brought the good news of deliverance from sin and salvation in Christ through these people. And they have, a, you know, identity now as 
a believer first and then whatever their ethnic group is second or you know wherever that lands but if you see unbelievers telling the story if you just you know kind of like googled the mission the, the wikipedia article on the history of missionary activity the story that you would get doesn't have a sense of the sovereignty of god and the work of the holy spirit through all of that and so you read it and you go this looks like a caricature to me you know and it's not appreciating what is true of the church which is that through the messiness of people's sin the gospel really is going forward um yeah so yeah go ahead mike okay i got one more and then you should land the plane or i'll land the plane and uh, we'll try not to crash land yeah we'll try um so let's go back to the question uh what do you, how do you answer, hopefully I, I got this right, how do you answer the person who accuses us of Christianity being a white man's religion? So the, the best answer, once you get through all the, you know, kind of go through the weeds a bit, is it's not. Biblically, it's not. And where I would go is, is um, Acts 2, where Africans were some among those who were Acts 2.10, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene. Uh, there were Africans that were, uh, everybody uh, from everywhere, <laughs> everybody from everywhere. It was, it was like Revelation 5, uh, men from every tribe and nation and tongue and, and, and language, uh, uh, tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Um, the other thing I would mention is that uh, Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8 that Philip reached, um, I, I would say that uh, Christianity is not a white man's religion, but it's also not a black man's, brown man's, red man's, yellow man's, whatever color you want to put on somebody. I don't like that, by the way. I don't even like going with all the colors, but um, it's it's applicable to all people. In Acts 10, it says, God is not one to show partiality, but anyone from any nation who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him, meaning if you believe the gospel. And so I would take him back to the Bible and say, hey, I realize that humankind isn't perfect in its living out of everything, but what God intends is for Christianity to be for all people. It's not one color of person's religion. It's applicable universally to everyone, though everyone universally isn't going to get saved. You need to believe the gospel and, and repent and believe Jesus and be saved. Yeah. yeah. Maybe, maybe to kind of summarize some of all of what we've been saying. When somebody really is born again, Christ becomes their dominating identity. Yeah. You're not a, you know, woman and a Christian. You're a Christian and a woman. You know, the, the, the former identity isn't erased, but Christ becomes a new dominant identity. And for people who've had the transforming work of Christ in their life, I think you can you can see that in the way they talk. Yeah. Um, more that we could say on that. Good question, Audrey. Way to ask a nice, easy one to wrap us up there. That was great. Um, no, I'm kidding. Uh, thank you guys for being with us today. Listeners, uh, thank you also for staying with us. Hopefully, uh, you were encouraged by hearing uh, some of what the interns have been learning this summer and then also hearing uh, just uh, some thinking out loud about some of those questions. Great questions you guys asked. Mike, anything else you'd have to say as we wrap up? Uh, no, just keep following Jesus. Keep asking the questions, and uh, we'll see you next time on the podcast. God bless you. Have a great day.